Harrison Price for July the 10th, 2023. Summer is chugging along. No! Slow down. Coming to you from the Wall Center in our Harrison Price studios. Alongside me, the one and only Jeff Patterson in for the vacationing Matt Sikaris. And maybe uh, we're going to be out South Vancouver way. Today, maybe I'll take you out for dinner at the uh, Apron mm. at YVR. Uh-huh. Fabulous dining at the Western Wall Center at YVR. If you're coming or going from the airport, stop by and see what they've got to offer. Uh, welcome, everybody. Uh, as always, Sakarison Price, a presentation of Applewood Auto Group. And we're really pumped to be uh, in this partnership. And uh, AJ and Brent are going to welcome us to a couple of dealerships coming up later on this week, and we're going to get to know some of the cars and be able to tell you about some of the amazing deals that you can find, the Apple Performance Center with all their uh, high-end vehicles as well. Um, We can't wait to uh, get really on the ground, boots on the ground, at the Applewood Auto Group, and it's coming just on on Wednesday. So don't forget, this is a, uh, a group that has community in mind. So if you're looking to do business with people that are good to do business with, that's the Applewood Auto Group. Uh, well, it was it was a weekend, all right. There was <laughs> lots going on. Um, heck, the Canucks even w- waded in a little bit with housekeeping. I won't call it news because Niels Hoglander was unlikely to be just cast aside by the Vancouver Canucks. But uh, he gets a new contract. And so that brings us to our Bulldog poll question for today. Where will Niels Hoglander be on opening night? In the lineup, rostered but scratched with the Abbotsford Canucks or another organization, log on, cast your vote at Sakaris and Price on Twitter. Jeff, where's Nils Hoaglander? Uh, I hope that he makes this hockey club. I, I think I, I'm really curious to see what a year in the American Hockey League or the, the bulk of a season in the American yeah. Hockey League does. In terms of motivating him, lighting a fire under him, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of people like forget just how young this guy is. And when they made the announcement yesterday, I just I wrote a quick piece at the Hockey News and just going back sort of through his time in the organization. Of course, a, a 2019 draft choice, and that mm-hmm. was the same year, Pud Colson, and it was the draft here, uh, Arthur Silovs, Aiden McDonough. And this is a guy that is only 22. He won't be 23 until Christmas. And you think about his time in the organization. Broke in as a rookie in that all-Canadian division. You know, no travel south of the border. No fans in the stands. Like, the most unique circumstances for anybody. So yeah. he, he makes his NHL dream come true, but he really didn't see the NHL until his second year, which was almost like having a do-over for his rookie year when he traveled around and played every team and you know got a sense of hostile atmospheres and environments. Again, he's a 2019 draft choice. He's eighth among that class of 2019 in terms of NHL games played, and he spent 45 games in Abbotsford last year. Mm -hmm. He can't be an afterthought for this organization. He was a second-round pick. Obviously, they needed Pod Colson to develop as well, but 
you've got a guy that is eighth from his draft class in NHL games played. He's 10th in goals scored, 12th in overall points. Like He has been productive. He was a half a point a game guy in that rookie season, primarily on a line with Horvat and Pearson, but he broke in and we all raved about, you know, this engine just never quits and he's not the biggest guy in the world. But, you know, Rick Tockett loves his board battles and I know he's got size working against him, but Hoaglander wins his share of battles. And so that's why I want to see a motivated guy come to camp. I'm going to vote that he's in their opening night lineup. Now, how exactly that happens there are still dominoes to fall. There's yes. so many wingers. We know all of that. But the other thing with the Hoaglander story is, like outside of COVID, he joined this organization during, let's be honest, one of the most chaotic periods in franchise history. In his short time in the organization, he has played for Travis Green, Bruce Boudreau, Jeremy Colleton, and now he's hoping to impress Rick Tockett all in this short span of time. So a lot for a young guy to process, just a lot of voices, a lot of noise around him. And I hope that he takes whatever he can from the American Hockey League. Last year, recognized that he doesn't want to be back there, that he is an NHLer, this is where he belongs. And so I, I'm really looking forward to seeing what Nils Hoaglander looks like at Canucks training camp in Victoria. I, I still bristle when people say like he can't be, like he's terribly, terrible defensively. And, and I, I, I get that maybe his assignment readings can be off at times. But he's he's still a piece of clay here, I think, at his age. That a guy that has his attributes, he should be able to be a defensive player. Like when you work that hard along the boards, when you can forecheck like he's shown that he can do, that effort can be utilized, can can be pushed into a certain way that makes you a defensive player, I think. Like, I don't think this is a lost cause for this player. No, and I think by all accounts, and I saw him that went out for the one game in the playoffs, but it sounded like he accepted the emotion the way you would want a young player to, and that's to recognize that there are parts of his game that he needs to work on. Mm-hmm. It sounds like he did address some of those. Uh, it didn't come at the expense of offense. I mean, he had 32 points in the 45 regular season games that he played in the American Hockey League, and then it was a, a point-a-game guy in the playoffs. So... Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think he's motivated, he's hungry, he's got to show up and have the same sort of training camp that he did that first year when he arrived on the scene, and he was just 20, like he had just turned 20 years of age. Uh, and yeah, he played over in the SHL, so he had a little bit of pro experience, but uh, he looked like an NHLer then, and sure, there was a little bit of a drop-off, but if you think about, so he started under Travis Green, and then... You know, Bruce Boudreau comes in, and Bruce Boudreau is trying to win hockey games. And certainly last year, the start of last season, they got off to such a terrible start with the seven losses. At that point, you know, Boudreau didn't have time to develop young players. He wasn't about the young guys. He wanted his veterans to, you know, step up and try and stabilize things. And Hoaglander sort of fell by the wayside last year at the NHL level. But, yeah, don't throw the the baby out with the bathwater. I think there's a player there. The fact that other teams have kicked tires and shown interest, I think that should tell the Canucks something that, you know, maybe they should have some interest in this guy. His downfall, though, his downfall was when he switched from 36 to Louis' old 21. He's got to go back to 36. It's not a bad idea. I mean, honestly. (laughs) It goes to Louis. (laughs) Turn the page there. At this point, I would would take all sort of – you know, good advice on that sort of thing for uh, Neil Sogander. But at 1.1, like that's a contract that represents value. Like there's absolutely just going to say that the opportunity for the Canucks to extract some serious value from this player. If they can have Neil Hoaglander and Vasily Podkolzin in the lineup, combined making two million dollars, 
Like that's what this team needs right now is contributions from guys that they don't really have to pay. I mean, those are buryable contracts, but let's hope they don't have to bury them. Let, let, let's hope that those two players play well enough that the Canucks get value out of that. Um, and we know that it's impactful. Their skill sets are are possibly impactful, but we got to see it out of the players first. So um, I don't know. I, I like the forecast of a $1.1 million contract. Like if the Canucks didn't think much of him and if Nils Hoglander didn't feel like he had much um, leverage at all, I think we're seeing a contract that's $800,000, $900,000. I think think it it matters that it's a seven-figure contract. For a young player on a seven, like I think they intend on using them. Well, I think that's the second year gives them a little bit of security that if he hits, now all of a sudden, right? You know, they've got this for two years. The one thing that works against him, and I do think this is important to remember with this squad of wingers, is he's still waiver exempt two NHL games, Mm -hmm. and then he'll require waivers. And so I, I hope that doesn't work against him, but I could see a scenario where the Canucks make their decisions, and rather than lose him for nothing on waivers, because I do think he would be plucked, they park him in Abbotsford to start the season, hope they get off to a better start. If it doesn't go so well at some point and he burns it up in the American Hockey League off the hop, you know, plays his way back at that point, then the chips are going to fall where they do. But I could see a way that they stash him in the minors, which isn't necessarily fair to him. I mean, all it'll be predicated on the kind of training camp that he has, but just keep in mind that uh, he is still waiver-exempt until he plays two more NHL games. Or at that price point, do you see him make the opening night roster per our poll question, scratched, but maybe and maybe they don't put him into the lineup on opening night because there's so many dynamics and, and nerves and such on opening night, but you play him in game three or four of the season, you get a freebie game to see how he reacts to an NHL regular season game, and then make a, a further educated decision. We'll find out. But Niels Hoaglander, uh, back with the Vancouver Canucks organization, whether it is Abbotsford or Vancouver related. Uh, last Friday's poll question, our last one, who's the greatest coach in Canucks history? Um, this was pretty tight. Yeah. That was pretty tight. Uh, Elaine Vigneault, 54.9% on Twitter. He wins it. Uh, Pat Quinn at 40.6. Mark Crawford got nothing at 4.5%. But, Grady, we understand this is uh, flipped on its ear when we look over at the numbers on YouTube. 48-47 for Quinn. Wow. Crawford gets 4% there. So that part's consistent, but Quinn wins by yeah. a percentage point. Yeah. Bit of an older crowd on YouTube. Yeah, we talked about this on Friday a little bit in as much as Pat Quinn, obviously with his place in the Ring of Honor, mm-hmm. his contributions to the organization, but I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm surprised it's as close as it is, quite frankly. I just think AV with the wins record... Uh, I know they both got to a Stanley Cup final. Uh, I, I didn't think that it was going to be as close as it was. And quite frankly, I was a little surprised that Mark Crawford didn't get a little more love. I know that he wasn't going to win the poll. Mm-hmm. I don't think he is the greatest coach in Canucks history. But again, there's such reverence for that era that he coached that I thought the gap between second and third uh, might be a little bit tighter. There were some write-ins, too, asking why we didn't put Roger Nielsen in there. Definitely would have made, you know, pushed Quinn or Vigneau, but I think a lot of people are hung up on the emotion side of the 82 run and the whole white towel and everything and kind of the underdog story. Yeah. Um, it's just a short, short tenure, you know, for Roger Nelson. Yeah. And yeah. 
still below 500. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Bulldog line of the day for me, uh, the USA, fresh off of its uh, victory over Canada at the Gold Cup, takes on Panama in one of the semifinals. And the other one, though, it's Javain Brown of the Whitecaps and Jamaica taking on Mexico, who have already dropped a, a match earlier in the group play. Uh, they do not look strong at all. And you're getting huge value. You don't have to drop much. Jamaica, the reggae boys, plus 475 to beat Mexico in your Bodog line of the day. We'll get back to the Gold Cup in uh, in just a second. W- one more little bit of uh, Canuck news, and we'll get into the Ian Cole side of things. He's going to wear number 82 for the Vancouver mm-hmm. Canucks, but uh, had selected 28 for a brief moment in time before being educated. Uh, Carson Soucy's coming in. He'll wear number 7 for the Vancouver Canucks. Teddy Bluger is going to wear 53. Again, the Ian Cole situation, we'll get to in the prices right here in just a moment. But because of that situation, it kind of overshadowed the fact that Teddy Bluger is going to wear Bo Horvat's 53. Uh, the jersey's still warm. Horvat <laughs> <laughs> just left, and the number's already being used. I mean, Bo Horvat will maybe one day have his day in the sun Maybe I, I don't even think it's I don't I, he's not a ring of honor guy for me. I, th- I thought he was a great player. I he was a, a fabulous young captain for the Vancouver Canucks. But it's fair game, isn't it, to wear fifty three? Oh, I, I think for sure. Yeah, uh, I mean it's a little uh, you know the timing. Not every guy would want fifty three, but Teddy Bluger wore fifty three in Pittsburgh. He wore it in Vegas. Like that's his it's just number. kismet. Yeah, and so yeah, maybe a perfect world you let it sit for a year, but you signed a guy that. Yeah, he asked for fifty three. It's available. I have no issues whatsoever with Teddy Bluger. I remember Ryan Kessler when he came back after all the years. He wore seventeen, and Radim Verbata was wearing it. And I said to him, like during the game, like, did you ever look over and think, like, hey, that's my number? Yeah. And he said, like, yeah, actually, like there was a moment there that it looked pretty funny to see somebody else wearing number seventy. But he wasn't, you know, he didn't object. He understood. Time moves on. Players move on. Uh, ultimately, it is just the number on the back of a jersey, and let's hope uh, as hard as Bo Horvat tried for the Vancouver Canucks, uh, you know his legacy is not stellar when it comes to playoff success and playoff track records and all those types of things. So hopefully, Teddy Bluger can advance the cause when it comes to fifty-three. Yeah, again, if if there was certainly if there was a Stanley Cup and Bo Horvat's past, um, more playoff success, maybe we'd be in the Ring of Honor conversation sometime down the road, but I don't suspect we're going to be there, so why can't you just wear the the number? Um, Susie wearing 7, Bluger wearing 53 going forward. Elsewhere, uh, around uh, these parts, busy day, busy weekend at BC Play Stadium, BC Lions, 35-19 winners over the Montreal Alouettes, and Vernon Adams goes from six picks mm-hmm. to no picks. And uh, it wasn't like an electric offensive performance. It was just a good one. And good enough to beat the Montreal Alouettes. Uh, over 280 yards passing. Nothing to sneeze at. But again, it's not like it's a, a 375 kind of day. They spread out the receiving yards. They got a bunch of uh, yards along the ground. And then the defense continues to do its thing with seven sacks on the day. Yeah, Lions defense is incredible. We knew that early on. I mean, the shutout of Edmonton, six yeah. points in Winnipeg. Uh, Matthew Betts is just having an absolute monster season, and I hope people in this market are starting to sit yeah. up and take notice. I know they are around the, the Canadian Football League, 
Uh, Vernon Adams threw, he did throw a pick on his second play from scrimmage that got returned for a touchdown. Fortunately for him and the Lions, there was a penalty on the play, yeah. and so they got to scrub that. But after coming off the week that he had in Toronto, he thought, oh my goodness, like that is worst case scenario. Dodged that bullet. And then you know, was able to show pretty good ball management at that point. I mean, 20 of 25 on the afternoon. Uh, he's got the receiving core when they're all healthy. I mean, that is the best receiving core in the Canadian Football League. And special teams came through as well with uh, a block punt and uh, the recovery of a fumble on a, a punt return as well that Montreal put on the ground. So uh, Lions capitalized in that regard. Uh, overall, they were the better team. And as a result, nice bounce back win for them after the loss in Toronto. Four and one, five games into this season, tied with Winnipeg for top spot in the division. And you know, a decent Sunday afternoon crowd against an Eastern opponent that you know isn't terribly sexy. Uh, they got 20,000 at BC Place. And somebody pointed out that Last year, when they had the big concert, won Republic to open, and you know the same splashes mm-hmm. here with LL Cool J, but they only backed it up with fourteen thousand at their second home game. Right. This was twenty thousand, so year over year, without the concert and all the hype and the hoopla, but a better football team. But no Nathan Rourke, although he was there, mm-hmm. uh, him and his family, and uh, got a nice ovation as well. But uh, you know that's solid twenty thousand, like something to build on, and uh, if they keep winning, hopefully that. The crowd count will only climb higher as well. And they had been away for a long time. Right. So, you know, the fact they were able to, you know, keep some momentum, remind people they exist. Like you, the, the absence can go one of two ways that you're hungry to see them. And so you show up or you forget about them and you don't show up. So um, clearly that wasn't the case. And uh, Lions, and I'm glad you brought up the interception because I think after a six pick game, you're. You're worried about the the mental fortitude of your quarterback a little bit, and for that, if, even if if it's called back, you worry that he sees somebody else pick it off, and even even with the callback, did you know is that going to affect him going for? And it didn't. The fact that he calmed himself down after that um, says a lot about Vernon Adams' mindset right now uh, for this season. Same cannot be said for the Whitecaps the night previous at BC Play Stadium. They hold leads of 1-0, 2-1 in their match versus the Seattle Sounders and uh, then concede a tying goal and get a player sent off and down a man. Seconds after they go down a man, they give up a 3-2 lead in stoppage time and they lose 3-2 to Seattle. And we had sort of said going into League's Cup, three straight home matches, you kind of need to sweep them all. Well, best they're going to do now is two of three, and it becomes absolutely emphatic. And they, remember, they're back at a, in action on Wednesday. Wednesday and Saturday coming up, they have to. They have to win both of these games. Yeah, I mean, that was tough. Obviously, uh, you know, the two leads that you talked about and then the getting the man set off, uh, just loose defensively. And they gave up three in Kansas City. They gave up three here against Seattle. It's tough to win when you're mm-hmm. giving up that many. And Takoka sc- doesn't look the same right now. And you score twice against a Seattle club that doesn't concede a lot and get nothing out of it. That, that one stings yeah. as well. But, you know, I, I, I mean, I watched the game, and then I, I heard Vanny saying, like, you know, just those momentary lapses. But at that level, you can't have them, especially against a, a good team like Seattle and uh, they made them pay. I just uh, a little too loose in in the box defensively, uh, and I don't know. Like it, it kind of was a shock to the system to see them go down a man and then that quickly give up what turns out to be the game winner. Like they should have been able to stack the box defensively 
it, it shouldn't have cost them a goal the way it did, but it, it definitely looked like cause and effect. Yes. Uh, they are starting to get players back at the very least. Uh, Ali Ahmed, I mean, he might be on the bench, might be able to give him 20 minutes or something on Wednesday coming back from uh, the Canadian loss. Uh, Tristan Blackman which should probably get the start, and Andres Kubis will definitely play on Wednesday as well. So, I mean, it's a it's a much better team on Wednesday. Um, all those players could have been really useful. Blackman came off the bench, but you know, getting just the two central defenders back in their usual spot is a uh, is a big need for the Whitecaps. And yes, Ali Ahmed will be coming back because, alas, Canada loses to the United States in the quarterfinal of the Gold Cup, a match I did not give them much. Um, chance of winning and they played it almost perfectly um they played a counterattack style they were ready to concede they were not going to own the ball much although the first half they actually owned the ball a lot more than i thought they would they played pretty well it was a just a beautiful goal by schaffelberg yeah. uh to to take the lead in uh extra time and and really, they might have been robbed. They should, there should, probably should have been two handballs against the Americans. They only get the one, and that one ultimately allows them to get to extra time. It was an exciting. It was an exciting game to play. It really was. But you can't miss two. You can't flat out be robbed of two kicks and PKs and, and expect to compete. So it's too bad. And even the, the the tying goal for the Americans. It's a save made by Dane St. Clair. He makes the save, and it ricochets off a defender and in. I mean. Uh, it's too bad. There's there's a million different ways they could have won that game. Yeah, and I'm like you. I mean, based on the form and the preliminary round, didn't give them much no, chance. No. So to get a game like that, to penalty kicks, to, and I mean, you know, fine lines, uh, the underside of the bar on the penalty kick, too. Yes, yeah. Uh, but it stayed out, unfortunately. So, uh, yeah, um, entertaining game at the very least. Unfortunately, yeah. uh, would like to have seen a little bit more from them earlier in the tournament, but... Uh, We'll see where things go from here for Canada. But it does, you know, it does raise another question here. You know, is 2026 is going to be here in a moment. Are, are, are you ready for three more years of John Herdman? Right. And I see a lot of that question being asked. Has yeah. he taken them as far as he can? Yes. And, you know, coming off Qatar and the fact that they, you know, got to the World Cup and and showed some moments in that World Cup. Like, that felt like it should be the baseline, and then this feels like a little bit of a step back here. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Putting Moise Bombito back in the starting lineup after he was yanked after a half an hour, I mean, it was, it was a little bit odd. Whitecaps could have got two players back if uh, Jamaica had lost, and then they were guaranteed to get somebody back because it was either Gressel or Ahmed in that game. They only get one back. It's Ali Ahmed on the way back for the Whitecaps. Gressel and Javane Brown will continue to play on in those Gold Cup uh, semifinals still to come. So uh, we'll see what happens. The Vancouver Canadians, by the way, they're back this Friday. They were in the middle of the All-Star break, the all-of-baseball All-Star break, if you will. Uh, back on the 14th at Napa Bailey Stadium. Looks like a fabulous weekend ahead, so get your tickets at CanadiansBaseball.com. Uh, here's the rest of today's menu brought to you by BC's Best Breakfast. And we know breakfast matters. I was behind today. I had a crappy breakfast, and it put me in a bad mood. Uh, don't be a Blake. Go you're to the Dutch. You're still grumpy. I know how I am. That's true. <laughs> Start your day right. Sweet or savory panic cooking. Uh, a menu that suits special diets, too. Check it out at the Dutch. 
Com. Price is Right coming up in a moment with more on the Ian Cole number fiasco. Uh, hashtags after that, the best and worst of Twitter, which includes the demise of the newspaper box score. And I don't know if you uh, are like me. Like the newspaper box score is literally how I became a sports fan. Like we didn't have, and, and here's the, uh, the wavy lines on the uh, screen here as we take you through me- memory lane here. We, we didn't have... 24-7 sports available on television when we were kids. We did have the newspapers, though. And I would, and we had afternoon newspapers in Winnipeg, so I would sit on the steps, come home from school, sit on the steps, wait for the newspaper delivery, and I would pour over box scores and just kind of recreate the games in my head. I, I've tried to explain this to youngsters like Grady. <laughs> I don't know if I've had this conversation with Grady, but Grady, I, like there was, and Blake and I are of the same vintage here, like you used to get all the NHL stats on Tuesdays, like yeah. the entire league player by player, and you would have to like if you were in a hockey pool, had to do math with a calculator to add up yeah. your hockey pool. Mm-hmm. That's how old we are. Times have changed for the better in that regard. Yes, yes. You just sign up for one of the many web services that'll do the hockey pool for you. But there was a time where like math very much was involved if you were like the organizer <laughs> of a hockey pool. Hard to believe. Uh, former Canucks executive Chris Gear is going to join us as well. He'll stop by with his thoughts on the Canucks offseason to date, including uh, this uh, newest contract here for Niels Hoaglander. Of course, he was part of the management group that saw him jump into the National Hockey League with that shortened season in the heralded North Division. Um, and we'll see if Niels Hoaglander can get back to North Division levels here with the Vancouver Canucks. And then our errors and omissions to finish things off. No matter what you're buying, folks, when you're out in the world looking for this, that, and the other, I think you want to support businesses that you feel good about supporting. You can feel good about supporting the Applewood Auto Group. Uh, they've made the car business and communities around them a whole lot better with their work in the community. Go and find out why it is indeed all good at Applewood. Visit them online anytime at applewood.ca. Time for the golf report brought to you by the legendary Arnold Palmer designed Whistler Golf Club. Do you have a group of 12 or more? It doesn't take long to get a group of 12 together that can play golf. You, the group organizer, will then play for free. How about that? It's worth the effort. All you have to do, tell them about your group. They'll take care of the rest. They'll do all the planning. Do so at whistlergolf.com forward slash groups. And we were almost set to talk about Sepp Straka in this space today. Because for a long time yesterday, he was tracking towards a 59. And even late on the back nine, he was tracking towards a 60 at the very least. He double will get 18. Put one in the drink on 18. But you can do that when you've built yourself a nice little cushion. He ends up winning the John Deere. So it's all about holding the trophy at the end of uh, four rounds. And he is your champ. But yeah, I mean, 60 would have been incredible. 59, obviously. Mm -hmm. But uh, end of the day. It's about uh, just getting across the finish line. 62 is pretty good, too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we can't talk to you about Brooke Henderson winning the U.S. Women's Open because she didn't. No. Allison Corpuz uh, ends up winning. Uh, Charlie Hull from England went on a heater but couldn't catch Corpuz. Um, Pebble Beach U.S. Women's Open for the first time. And I think they proved that, you know, they can make the adjustments to the course to make it completely. I don't know why they haven't gone. I think. I mean, I think they thought it was too hard. 
And, and ultimately, uh, that looked like a U.S. Women's Open. It was. It, it's hard to. It should be hard to win a, a U.S. Open. That's what the calling card is on both the men's and women's size. And uh, that was a hard tournament to win. Yeah, and I think they got the teeth of pebble. The wind was up yesterday a little bit. The greens were firm. Ball was bouncing. You know, Brooke finished solo twelfth, and I mean, she's so talented that even when she doesn't have her best stuff, she's still. Better than most out there, but was never really in contention. Finished a dozen shots back of the winner. Never broke 70 rounds of 71, 75, 73, 72. Uh, Struggled with her driver, which is usually her best club. She was 11th in driving distance, but 39th in fairways hit. And pretty hard to be aggressive at a U.S. Open if you're repeatedly hitting out of the rough. So not her best stuff, but uh, again, she's so consistent in majors. Not surprised that she posts another top 20, but I would think that she would probably trade a few of those top 20s to be on the first page of the leaderboard and in the mix down the stretch on a Sunday, and that wasn't the case yesterday. She's uh, finished inside the top 25 now in her last 13 majors, <laughs> um, and there would be a, there would have been a time where we would be like, holy crap, can right. you believe that? But Henderson's, you know, we, we talk about where you raise the bar, uh, Soccer Canada, and 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 in this case, Brooke Henderson. Yeah, um, we want her top five, and, and she for a split second, I think after about the fifteenth hole, she was on the first page of the leaderboard for a second, and then she had one final late bogey that took her off the first page. But um, those are, and I'm not saying that's not good enough. I'm just saying, you know, we do have a high expectation for Brooke Henderson, and uh, let's hope that she can get. Another few majors here under her belt before it's all said and done, because she certainly has that uh, that capability. Happy Hour brought to you by Yellow Dog Brewing, Neighborhood Brewing, Workshop Spirits, and very excited to announce the release of Yellow Dog's very first mix pack, Box of Tricks. Choose between the classic Play Dead IPA, the award-winning Rough West Coast IPA, and two brand new beers, Growl Extra Pale Ale and Tug of War New Zealand IPA hitting the shelves on Tuesday, November 7th. And at the end of a busy workday, treat yourself to a Yellow Dog neighborhood or workshop spirit. Time now for The Price is Right, brought to you by Northlands Golf Course. And first, just let me say that this weekend and the number choice of Ian Cole is a fine example of what is wrong with sharing opinions on Twitter. There should be an option to declare on a scale of, I don't know, 1 to 10, your emotional level when speaking on a subject, because as many lamented, Ian Cole originally being assessed the number, or assigned the number 28 by the Vancouver Canucks was not the end of the world. But at the same time, pointing out that it was a curious decision by the team and wondering why it happened is also fair game. Not every opinion, and particularly sports opinions, are under the category of breathless rage. Here's the thing. The late Luke Bourdon was the last Canuck player to wear the number 28. And that is not a coincidence. The team has never released any formal rules around the number, but it's clear there was at least an informal understanding to honor the Bourdon name by not handing that number out. That doesn't have to be a forever thing. There could be other ways to honor Bourdon, which would allow the number to be comfortably put back into circulation. It just requires proper communication, which is often the weakest department over at Rogers Arena. The release that eventually went out was a good way to solve the initial problem. Ian Cole simply chose the number he wanted, and only when he learned about Bourdon did he invert the numbers and change. Great. Problem solved. 
The question remains, why didn't anyone tell him on the front end when so many before him coming into the organization had been told? You'll remember the Canucks had a similar issue when the incoming Mark Messier was given his customary 11 after about 25 years out of circulation following the death of Wayne Mackey. Turns out there was more disappointment around Messier that would eventually overshadow this particular angle. It won't ruin the season. It won't cause the Canucks to miss the playoffs. So if those are your only prisms to view stories, you've likely moved on. For others, though, like the Bordon family and those that want an organization that is at the top of its game in every department, it's a little disappointing. But yes, we will ultimately move on, and Cole will do so wearing number 82. That's The Price is Right. Any feedback, send it to the Great Clips inbox, 778-402-9680. Great Clips is the official hair salon of the NHL. Greatclips.com to find the salon nearest you. And The Price is Right brought to you by Northland's Golf Course. Tea Times booked 90 days in advance, a loyalty program as well. Do you want free golf? Everybody wants free golf. Get into the loyalty program, you'll get free golf. Details at golfnorthlands.com. I want free golf. Uh, I saw some on Twitter calling it a disaster. I'm not going that far. Uh, it was clunky, certainly. So awkward. And look, I'm not saying it was nothing. Mm-hmm. It was something. But like, I think Ian Cole deserves a whole lot of credit here for making the best of a tough situation that he found himself in through absolutely no fault of his own. Totally. This guy's worn 28 wherever he has gone. Like, look at his history in the NHL. He wore 28 last year in Tampa. That's his number. And so he asked. He was given it. And then there was this backlash. Groundswell, yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, he was swift. He was decisive. He was respectful. And he'll be just fine wearing number 82. But the Vancouver Canucks as an organization have to figure out what they are. When it comes to these numbers, 11, 28, Rick Rippon's old 37. Like, are they just out of circulation? They're not retired. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they ought to retire no. Luke Bourdon's number no. or Rick Rippon's number. No. But create a policy so that everybody from top to bottom, the equipment guys, the social staff that was building out a graphic that they released with the players in their new numbers, the PR staff, everybody. It's summertime. Like, not everybody's around the office. Like, I saw people taking runs at Patrick Elvin and Jim Rutherford. They don't deal in uniform numbers. No, they don't. They've got a lot on their plate. Uniform numbers are not one But of the people things. that do deal with the uniform numbers, curiously, are, are long-tenured right. people. That's a little bit of a surprise in all of this. Yeah. But just organizationally, they got to figure out. Because if Ian Cole hadn't asked for 28, like... Carson Soucy would have. He wore 28 last year in Seattle. But I think Cole had the inside track because of the veteran status. Right. And somebody else, when like when Ian Cole's no longer here, somebody else is going to ask for 28. That's yeah. just the way the world works. And so organizationally, I do think that they've got to button down and figure out you know, how do they want to act moving forward so that this doesn't happen again. Because Ian Cole was put in a tough spot didn't deserve to be in that tough spot. He just asked for a number that he wanted and was given it and then had to backtrack. So I do think that there's still a little work on this file left for the Vancouver Canucks as an organization. I haven't walked every square inch of the mezzanine recently, but maybe maybe you do a, you know, you can call something better than the rest in peace section, but you know what I, you know what I mean? Um, find a way to honor them there and then just have all the numbers you know, up for grabs. It's not, it's not the 
Oh, well, we we have the Ring of Honor. Maybe it's the Wall of Honor, and it's for for dearly departed uh, members of the Vancouver Canucks. So maybe that's an option. And then you have all the numbers back in into circulation. But just uh, yeah, um, dot and I cross the T, and all these sorts of things can uh, can be avoided. Hashtag the best and worst of Twitter brought to you as always by Jason Hominick at Jason.Mortgage. Housing market will always be crazy. I'm just saying on the scale, it doesn't feel like the prices are escalating weekly as they have in, in previous years. But there's not a lot of inventory out there. So you do have to be ready, folks. So what Jason Hominick will always say is make sure your pre-approval is there in your back pocket so you can act quickly and have a more attractive offer to whomever you're trying to buy the house off of. So just one of the many tips you'll get from a person-to-person relationship with Jason Hominick at jason.mortgage. Jeff, what do you got? Uh, I've got one for Bruce Garriock at Sun Garriock. Covers the Ottawa Senators for the Ottawa Sun. Does some work for TSN as well. Speaking to Detroit reporters this morning, Alex DeBrinkett said he had no intention of signing in Ottawa. Quote, we spent a year there. And we just didn't really have enough time to think about signing long-term there. I think there were probably better fits out there for me. He was there a year, Blake. Yeah. And just didn't have time, time to get around to thinking about no. his future. Had company over on Thursday, <laughs> uh, went away for the weekend. By, power wash. Yeah, yeah, then the season's gone. I mean, it's <laughs> as simple as that. <laughs> what is with using not enough time as an excuse in professional sports, honestly? We just didn't have enough time. Okay, whatever. Um, let's move on to some media news. Actually, we'll, we'll stay with hockey for a second, then we'll get to the media news. At Ryan Hanna, WWP. Steve Eiserman, this is from the Wing Wheel Pod in Detroit. Steve Eiserman, quote, We're not restrained by finances. We're restrained by the salary cap, end quote. Say that they don't expect to go to the cap ceiling, but are also prepared to if something unexpected comes up. This was then quote tweeted by Alan Walsh, who went on an anti-cap tirade. I've never seen so much anti-salary cap conjecture as I have in the last two years. Is there any chance we live in a world without a salary cap again? Like, did, do you? No. Is there an ebb and flow there? No. no. No, I mean, it's projected to go up substantially, and I think that would be the league saying, here's the olive branch, you know, for the yes. guys that... And we saw it. a lot of guys taking one-year deals this year with an eye towards cashing in next year and beyond. But I, I don't think that... I mean, when we think of what we've gone through in the last 15 or 20 years, uh, lost season in there, I don't see the league giving back to the point that there would not be a salary. And and, and you don't... Th- can you ever envision a luxury tax? How... Oh. I mean, I'd like to think that the league could be flexible yeah. if the finances warranted it, but I still think we're always going to exist in some sort of cap. Might need a new commissioner for all that to, to go down, right? Because he has yep. died on this hill, yep. and uh, he might need to go before any of those sorts of concessions happen. What else you got? Uh, I've got one from At Three Down Nation. This is, of course, a website that covers the CFL. I don't know if you caught this yesterday with the Lions game. Super fan Bobby DeBoe attends a game in all nine CFL stadiums over 15 days to set a Guinness World Record. This is a 37-year-old guy from Delta who saw a game in every CFL stadium over the last 15 days yesterday in his backyard, uh, completed the loop. 
I, I'm a little surprised that others haven't. Like, it seems like you know yeah. you see the super fans that show up at Grey Cup every year. Like there are some hardcore die in the wool CFL fans. I, I'm just surprised that somebody hasn't been able to do this in 15 days. I also love the fact that he's applying to the Guinness Book of World Records. Yeah, and they're like, okay, let's consult the C- the <laughs> CFL. Di- do we have a CFL division? I'm not sure. Um, I'm surprised he didn't also try to weave in a tenth city. Is there a touchdown in Atlantic this season? Yeah, there is. If he'd done it later on in the season, he would have been able to squeeze in a Halifax game and made it ten matches in ten different cities. Just an idea for next year. What's his name? Bobby DeBoe. Bobby, there you go. Uh, at NY Times, New York Times. Breaking news, the New York Times will disband its sports department and rely on its website, The Athletic, for coverage of teams and games, both online and in print. Newsroom leaders said there were no planned layoffs. A little suspicious. Um, In a uh, similar move, at Sporting Trib, this just in, the LA Times sports section will no longer have box scores, standings, Game stories, TV listings, or a daily sports calendar the changes made to accommodate new 3 p.m. deadlines following the sale of their printing press. Will you miss it? Um, and it's, it's a changing media landscape. We all we know it all too well. Um, it's just weird for the two biggest papers, maybe in the entire United States of America, to abandon daily sports coverage. Yeah, I can almost see the getting away from box scores and standings and TV listings. So ever, uh, omnipresent, yeah. Right. Now, there would be probably some seniors out there that haven't adjusted and rely on that kind of thing, but do you cater to that slim section of the audience? The New York Times won. I guess I'm not surprised, given that they spent, whatever, $550 bucks to acquire The Athletic. We've also seen in recent weeks or months The Athletic sort of refocusing on more of the 30,000 foot level and going away a little bit more from local. Yeah. In fact, we're even seeing that here in Vancouver. Like They've got Drance and Harm on the beat still, but Harmon's kind of been reassigned to do a lot more league level Totally, things. yeah. And, you know, I mean, he's terrific at what he does, and he'll bring his style to, you know, it could probably introduce it to a, a broader audience that way. You know, New York Times, even though it's got New York in the name, I mean, again, this was sort of capital J journalism, looking at issues in sports. This wasn't covering the Yankees and the Mets necessarily. Yeah, And unfortunately, it just kind of feels like we're at a point in time where there isn't the importance placed on, you know, the big picture of journalism. It's more about clickbait and, you know, 500-word stories here yeah. and there. And then purely from the team, you know, yeah, team media. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I got a quick one from Wimbledon, the official site of uh, the championship. Uh, a quarterfinalist in his Wimbledon debut, Roman Safalin, defeats number 26, Denis Shapovalov. This was from yesterday on Sunday. Shapo won the first set, 6-3, yeah. and then uh, his knee was bugging him. I saw he had taken a little medication out there uh, on court uh, during a, ch- a changeover. Anyways, uh, won the first set and then dropped the next three. So Shapo's Wimbledon lasted a week. And that's hashtags for today.
Harrison Price from the Wall Center downtown. And as always, a presentation of the Applewood Auto Group. And we are so excited to get our tour of a couple of Apple dealerships coming up later. Uh, Applewood dealerships coming up later this week. And uh, maybe get to do a little bit of test driving as well. I'm going to uh, take the plug-in the hybrid Mitsubishi Outlander for a little spin as well. Uh, hey, folks. If you don't know the Applewood Auto Group, go discover them. So great for the community. So great for your dealings in finding a new car. So check them out, Applewood Auto Group. Uh, Our next guest, of course, a a former Canucks executive and uh, now has joined us on the dark side uh, periodically. Uh, The one and only Chris Gear joins us once again. How are you, Chris? Well, gentlemen, I'm rested from a trip to uh, Asoyas, so uh, happy happy to restart my week with you guys. The uh, the off season continues, albeit slowly, um, very slowly for the Canucks side of things in the last uh, handful of days. But uh, one item got off the National Hockey League to do list with Alex DeBrinket's uh, trade and signing. Do, do you do you believe that you know one sort of thing um, happening triggers a bunch of other things? Because there's still a bunch of other trades and 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 possible acquisitions out there. And we kept on being told that, you know, one thing will trigger the, the rest. Do you believe that that actually happens in, in off seasons? Yeah, sometimes it, sometimes it really does. Sometimes it's like a domino effect where one player who a number of teams might have been contesting or going after, once that player selects a team, then suddenly those teams that were looking for a player are now on to plan B or plan C. And so it does start start the ball rolling. I think in Debrinkat's case, I think he made it pretty clear that there were only a couple of teams that he was willing to go to, so probably not a lot of teams were were still in on him. But uh, but yeah, that's a lot of money and, and a, a big name player off the board. So that probably does start to shake things up a little bit and, and bring things into perspective for some other teams. Canucks got a little bit of work done over the weekend with the signing of Niels Hoaglander. Obviously, that was a player that you were a part of uh, when they drafted him. Great. What do you make of? Uh, his progression to this point, and if you don't want to speak to him necessarily specifically, but a young player that starts in the NHL and then gets sent down to the minors, uh, like I think some people in this market forget he's only 22 years of age. Like if it had been in reverse, if he had started in the minors and you know and now played two full seasons in the National Hockey League, we would just say, oh, that's the the natural progression. But uh, what do you think a year down in Abbotsford can do for a, a young player? And are you intrigued to see what it will do in terms of lighting the fire under him? Yeah, I, I've always really liked Hoglander. Um, you know, I, I did when they sent him down to the AHL. I wasn't sure that 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 was the right move because I I thought he was still an NHL caliber player that just needed the right opportunity to to make his mark, but. You know, he went there with the right attitude, and that's when that happens and a guy goes down and you see him work and you see him progress and gain confidence, uh, you know, ultimately maybe that was the right move. And, and I think he's going to come back and make a really big contribution. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to see what that does for him. He's a, he's a really nice kid, uh, hard worker. You know, just the speed, the tenacity, the forechecking that he brings, it's something that not a lot of players have, and I think it's, it's, it's missing. And, if he can start to score on a more regular basis, that's uh, that's a pretty potent weapon for the team to have. So, you know, based on him being in the AHL, uh, they, they could have gone safe with one year at league minimum. Uh, they do a, a little bit of a bet on a two-year deal. You know, maybe they could have gone even further for not much money, but, um, you know, kind of a safe bet on both sides. He gets a little bit of a raise over league minimum to take the extra year. 
And I think they get a very reasonable cap hit that, you know, if it doesn't work out and they have to bury him in the AHL, it's still under the, the buried amount. So it wouldn't cost them anything on their cap. So all in all, a, a good signing there, I think. So they get that deal out of the way. They've basically cleared their plate now. And it's all about when can they start talking to Elias Pettersson and his camp about the big extension. And I know J.P. Berry was on local media recently and saying no real plans to meet face-to-face until later in the summer. Uh, You've been through this with the Pettersson camp and the bridge deal that he got. As we sit here now knowing what we know about the player, do you think there's any way that his next contract doesn't start with a 10? Probably not. Uh you know, there's a chance you get it in the high nines, but but ten's probably realistic, um, and and that's not that's not a crazy deal by the league standards today. Uh, you know, you've got every team has at least one star, I think that's that's in that stratosphere, uh, and so if you're in and around ten, you know, I think that's that's a decent number. You know, I'm not sure what other players of Petey's ilk are up for a renewal right now. I haven't, haven't really looked at, at those comparables, but if they're out there, you can bet that Pat and JP will, will wait and wait and, you know, use every last bit of time they have to, to assess what the market will bear for PD. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, I think, uh, I think that number is achievable and I think they'll get something done and, and uh, hopefully PD will be around for a while. He's a, uh... A guy, I think, that wants to get an education himself on where this team is going. Do you get do you get that feeling that he's, you know, he's going to use his time as much as the the team has used time on a number of occasions on a number of players to make sure that they're signing the same player that they believe in. Um, he wants to sign with the same team that he believes in. And um, I mean, do you think that he might use months and months and months here as a further education as to where this team's going? Yeah, I think I think in Petey's case, it's. He, he's got the time and why not use it? I mean, I think it does a couple of things. One is it, it gives him a chance to evaluate the direction of the team and, and how these new acquisitions may help it or, or where it puts them in terms of being a competitor, competitive team, you know, during his future. Um, but I think also it, it gives him an opportunity to see if there are other deals for young RFAs like him that come together that provide him with, you know, additional ammunition uh, against the team in terms of what his number should be. So I think waiting only helps PD. Uh, it obviously doesn't help the team, but you know I think PD and his agents are smart enough to know that, that waiting is in their favor. The, the only downside could be an injury, um, but you know typically typically players I think will try to maximize their opportunity and that comes by by waiting and having all the available information. The other the other quick little point is that you know in today's NHL I think, RFAs are, are exercising their power. We saw it with, with Matthew Kachuk. We've, we've seen it with the Brinkat. We've seen it with a few other players where, you know, you'd like to think that PD is happy here, but if there are some things that, you know, aren't to his liking or he just wants to test what's out there, you know, he could be a little intransigent and, and say, no, I'm not, I'm not going to sign for this money and put the team in a bit of a bind. And, you know, it's not, um, it's not something you like to see league-wide that um, that RFAs are using their muscle, but it's a reality that, that now has to be dealt with. The qualifying offer uh, possibility is uh, kind of being used as a hammer now, right? It's uh, Even though you've theoretically got a year of service left to give to that team, 
Um, a lot of teams don't want to have to use that, uh, so we'll uh, we'll see how that goes. Back to Hoaglander for just a second before we leave him. Watching him in the bubble that year, or not in the bubble, in the weird season, in the North Division season, um, did management believe that was him, or did was there sort of a, a, a feeling that this was a weird enough circumstance that that performance had to be taken with a grain of salt? That's a tough question. I mean, obviously you're playing a limited number of teams. You're not getting that exposure to him playing against a full cross-section of the league. Yeah. But, but you like the habits. You like the traits that he was showing. Um, still so still I, NHL know, teams. Still NHL teams. Not like they weren't NHL absolutely. teams. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I, I think we believed that that this was a player that had a bright future. And, and I still think that, you know, a little bit of a setback last year, but I think he's got the characteristics of a player that you need in today's NHL with, with speed, with again, tenacity. I think he'll be good in, in a playoff environment, right? He doesn't shy away from contact and physicality. Uh, he's, he seemed to be durable throughout his career so far. He's, you know, flexible. You, you're even remembering back to the draft and those, videos of the stuff he did to prepare himself i mean he's he's a specimen right so i, I think um I, I think he's got a bright future and i think connects getting him on a two-year deal was was a good piece of work chris i'm curious to get your thoughts on vegas and the way that they have operated here and ultimately they have uh, the long wait is over they've got their stanley cup after six seasons uh, but we see in pro sports, and not just hockey, a lot of teams are guilty of sort of falling in love with their own players, maybe overvaluing their players. I mean, there is a ruthlessness to the way they operate in Vegas, and I think it's led by their owner, who seems uh, remarkably impatient. But, uh, you know, the ends justify the means, I suppose. What about the way that they have uh, operated here? Uh, you know, maybe not so much the first couple of years, but now that they've been around, uh, I say that's been around six whole years, uh, but what about the way they do their business? Yeah, you know, I've been critical of Vegas. I, you know, when they they went after Petrangelo and they had to dump players for free to do that, and then they went after Eichel and they had to manipulate the LTIR system to do that, and then you know, same thing with Stone going in LTIR to fit everything. And so, you know, I, I haven't liked that aspect of it. But then again, it's it's a mechanism available to you under the CBA, and they used every advantage they had um, to, to fit these star players in. And as Blake said, not get, not get married to the guys that they had and just said, you know what, we're going to, we're going to move on from some of these guys and bring in other guys that we think can get the job done. So, you know, in hindsight, credit where, where it's due. Um, you know, I wasn't always a fan of, you know, maybe like dumping a player like Pacioretty and getting nothing back for it. But at the end of the day, they, they were able to fill his cap space with somebody who, you know, perhaps has added more value to their team. So at the end of the day, they, they did a really nice job of, of bringing all those pieces together. And um, it was high stakes poker at times and, and really tough cap dealings, but they got it done. And at the end of the day, nobody remembers uh, all the stuff along the way. What's, uh, what's this time in the summer look like for a management group? Uh, and everybody's going to be a little bit different. And I think it's also... Uh, you have to be careful about, oh, are they in the office physically? Well, in the hybrid work world, I mean, who knows what that even means anymore about being in the office. But what do you suspect right now here? And we're, gosh, we're only July 10th. It kind of feels like July 25th in my internal clock, but it's like, it's only July 10th. Are, you know, are, are they still putting in eight hours, 10 hours a day on, on files right now? Or are they starting to, to peel off and, and have a little vacation, do you think? 
Yeah, I think it's a, it's a little more relaxed right now. Um, you know, whoever's doing yeah. their contracts is probably still working through some of the RFAs, uh, not just at the NHL level, but the AHL. And you've got a there, there's still UFAs that you might want to bring in for the AHL team for depth. Uh, and I don't think they're done at the NHL level either, because as much as uh, you know, Susie Cole and uh, Bluger were nice additions. You know, I think when you make a decision to buy out OEL and regain that cap space and, and push his problems to the future, it means that you're trying to be, you know, more competitive now or you're trying to get something done now. And so to make that decision mm-hmm. on OEL and then just go with, you know, kind of hole fillers in those three players, even though I think they're nice additions, they're not the kind of addition that I think takes them to the next level. And what I worry about in particular is, if, if an injury happens to Petey or Miller, you know, you're asking either Teddy Bluger or Sheldon Drys to be yeah, a second line yeah. center. And that's, you know, no disrespect to those guys. That's just not in their wheelhouse. So, you know, and, and the other part of that is JT may actually, or probably is a better winger. So you're already starting with a second line center that perhaps should be your first line winger. And then the depth from there is, is really tough. So I think, you know, they, they're probably still looking at another center, one that maybe has more offense that could move up. Um, you know, some of the guys that were out there, Comfer and Evan Rodriguez, I mean, they, they cost a bit too much, so I can see why maybe they passed. Uh, I wonder whether they go with a guy like Taze. I don't know how much gas he has left in the tank, but, you know, he obviously could play a second-line role in, in emergency bases if he had to, and at this point, I think he would he would come cheap, and maybe he wants to play in Canada for his final year or two. So, um, but but this time of year, I think the um, you know the the management is having a, a bit more downtime. They're still making calls. They're still kicking tires on some of the guys that are left, and I think the contracts person is still still working pretty hard on uh, getting those those minor deals done and some of those RFAs that we don't talk about a lot. Uh, although the Canucks did take care of. A lot of those uh, earlier, right, with Juleson and Breezebaugh and Willan and some of those guys. But, uh, yeah, I think August is when everything really grinds down to a halt. It's really the only month on the calendar that uh, people take yeah. vacation yeah. and get some time off and recharge. And then September, you're right back with, you know, young stars and then camp and everything else. So uh, probably a couple more weeks of hard work to try and pin down the last spots on the roster and then and beach time for these guys. Is, is there a cap-shitting trade, though, that they need to make to make it all work? Well, I think I think it would be useful. I mean, there, there's obviously been the smoke around, uh, you know, Tyler Myers and uh, perhaps with the Sharks and LeBanc or something. So there, there could already be something cooked there that the, the teams agree that they're going to revisit uh, later in the year. Um, you know, and, yeah, it, it, unless there's something they can add for, for fairly cheap, which I think there's still options to do that in the million-dollar range, but... Uh, beyond that, yeah, there's there's either a hockey trade where it's money in, money out, or it's a cap shedding deal that allows them to to maybe sign that uh, that more prominent center or more prominent player. I don't think they're going after the Tarasenko's of the world, but you know, there's uh, there's probably somebody still that that brings more offense that they can they can bring in. So interesting, interesting few couple of couple of weeks left here, I think. Well, it's our first visit with you. Uh, you mentioned the OAL buyout. I'm just curious, with your institutional knowledge, were, were you surprised that they went down that road and wrote that check after just two years of, of service from OEL? Um, not necessarily. It's definitely a, 
a big decision just because of the cap consequences that will flow for the next eight years. And in some of those years, it's pretty significant. And even though you bank on the cap increasing, uh, it, it results in, you know, a, a forced savings in some ways, but, but a, an inability to sign players in those years. So it, it really told me that they value the current cap space and what they're able to do with that now. And they're, they're willing to push that problem down the road a little bit and hope that the, the, the increase to the cap will sort of even out that problem. Um, myself, I mean, I, I heard a lot about OEL having an injury last year that he played through. Uh, I think the temptation would have been to try to see if he could come back and, and maybe if you can uh, squeeze some minutes out of him fully healthy, uh, maybe put him in a, a bit of a diminished role and a, Five six. I know that's a lot of money to pay for a five six, but uh, yeah, it's. I don't know that there's a, a perfect answer to that one. There, there obviously there's advantages to doing what they did and, and doing the buyout now, and, and you know, ensuring that if his play does degrade further, they've they've just rid themselves of the problem now. But there's obviously drawbacks too, where they're going to pay for this for quite a while. So we'll see how it works out. I'm not, I'm not prepared to, you know, herald it as a great. Uh, a great buyout or, or chastise it as a terrible one. I think it's just one of those things where you, you make the best decision you can and you, you hope that it pays off. Before we let you go, can we blame you for the September 15th um, Tyler Myers uh, bonus payout? Can we can we put that at your feet? Were you the one that you're, were thinking, hey, let's put it in September, not in yeah. July? Was that that's, you? That's pretty funny. Uh, <laughs> those, those types of decisions on uh, payments and cash flows, they, they go... Above, above, above your pay grade? Okay. Well, we want to blame somebody, Chris. So I thought that we should ask you at the very least. You know what? Regardless, I think if, if there's – Tyler Myers will get moved at some point. So you know, right. I, don't, I don't think the, the angst over that date needs to be as, as severe as, as maybe it is. As I said, I think it's possible that, that San Jose and the Canucks have already you know, pre-agreed subject to nothing else I wondered happening. that too. Yeah. They're gonna they're gonna revisit it, and maybe they already have kind of a a deal in principle. Uh, mm-hmm. You can't confirm it now, but but I think there could be something in the works. And I think there's other teams that at you know one million cash, or if there's retention and it's less than a million cash, and you know take the cap hit down from six. There's teams that are going to be interested in Myers. He's uh, obviously very languished in this market, but I think there's there's still there's still something there with him. He's a good skater big body there's still teams that are going to be interested oh i mean if the canucks could lay down if the canucks could lay down a coupon and have them at two and a half or three million dollars they they keep them they wouldn't do anything with them but it should for that cap hit you just want more right that's all um thanks for doing this chris appreciate it um the uh the nhl might shut down in august you can shut it down right now if you want Uh, i know you just got back from a soyuz but uh hopefully hopefully you've got more time off ahead enjoy your summer and we'll uh we'll touch base again soon thanks chris off to Seattle for the uh, home run derby and the all-star game. Ah, so perfect. still gets, gets better. Send us feedback anytime. 778-402-9680 into the Great Clips text message inbox. Great Clips. It's going to be great. Oh, he did it. Oh, yeah. We didn't Had even the weekend or- to rest up. We didn't even organize that. Uh, Arizona Missions. 
from way back last week. My hand is up. What's gone is gone. I'm no. ready to forgive and forget, but what, what's been preying on your mind over the last 48 oh, hours? It was a tough weekend. <laughs> it weighed heavily. No sleep. <laughs> I called them the Eskimos. Yeah. And I think I doubled down on that. I think I called them the Esks like a moment later. Like, uh, terrible name, and yet it was there for so long, it's tough to uh, take it out of our uh, immediate reaction old habits sure. yes uh guess what though you can call them elks they still play like the old team oh, oh my goodness yeah they're bad so bad um yeah all right anything else grady do you uh, remember anything nope nope uh let's go down to our last bodog line of the day what do you got uh, I think there's a good story brewing down in Seattle. I'm going to go with uh, the hometown guy, J-Rod, Julio Rodriguez in the Home Run Derby. Mm. Now, I think he has to get past the Mets' Pete Alonso in the first round. That could prove troublesome, but uh, I still I, I like the story. I like the storyline here, so I'm going with Julio Rodriguez to win the Home Run Derby outright. You can get him at plus 450. That's pretty good. Yeah. Plus 450. I mean, he's a, he's absolutely a leading candidate. So uh, there you go. There's your Bodog line of the day uh, brought to you by Bodog, your trusted source for sports odds. Uh, Jeff, thank you so much for uh, pinch That's hitting, fun. to uh, yep. borrow a phrase here from your Bodog line of the day. Uh, we are back to Sakaris and Price tomorrow and the rest of the week. Uh, don't forget, folks, uh, we support local. We talk local and uh, do the same for all of our fabulous sponsors here. And we'll talk to you tomorrow.